Hello. 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 This is episode 57 of the Silicon Sasquatch podcast. I'm Nick Cummings. It's nice to see you. Not really seeing anybody. Mm, I can't see anything. Uh, I'm here with Tyler Martin. Hello. And Doug Bonham. Hello. Podcasting brothers to the end. And we're here to just sort of talk about some stuff because we're in the middle of, you know, AAA release season and as a result the PR teams and the Illuminati are controlling the news cycle. So not a whole lot to talk about, but we thought we could, you know, at least broach one small news story uh, about what's going on with Ubisoft and the, the recent Assassin's Creed uh, franchise releases with uh, Assassin's Creed Unity and Assassin's Creed Rogue. Uh, Assassin's Creed Unity in particular, since that's the one that was targeted for uh, current-gen consoles, Xbox One, PlayStation 4. And pretty PC. much marketed by the Ubisoft machine as, this is the one you want to buy. Right, the one true Assassin's Creed for the uh, aficionados out there, I guess. Except maybe that's not the one you want to buy. Because, uh, I don't know. Why is that? Well, according to Why Forbes, that be? Uh, Ubisoft is now officially the new EA. If Forbes says it, it has to be true. <laughs> Especially when it comes to video games. But no, like, um, what does that mean? Because, like, EA is a, a company that's had, you know, maybe not the most sterling reputation among people who follow this industry. But um, what it, what happened with Unity that uh, was so unexpectedly bad, I guess? I, I, is it unexpected, though? Like, people were kind of hopeful that it would come together well, because 4 was good. But the team that made 4 and the team that made Unity are mostly different. I'm sure there's some overlap when you have teams of literally thousands of people. But 4 was kind of a reaction to how poorly 3 did, and 3 kind of is what led to 5, or not 5, Unity. So, Yeah, can we talk about the numbering there? Like... Why was it Black Flag AC4, and why is Unity not a numbered release? It seems very strange. 4 was Black Flag because 3 did really terrible critically, and Ubisoft thought they could sweep that under the rug by getting a numbered sequel out as fast as possible. Okay, yep. that was my guess. And 5, or Unity is not 5, because... They, I think they were trying to denote like a, a fresh start for the franchise? I think they realized that having numbers for these games is now pointless. Hmm. And also, I mean, the numbers were supposed to designate, like, significant movement in the Desmond storyline. Mm-hmm. Like, there wasn't a lot going on with Desmond in Brotherhood and Revelations. And then so, 3 was de yeah. definitively the ending of Desmond. So, just to clarify for anyone listening who hasn't played these games, uh, there was, like, despite being historical fiction with, like, characters in different settings like the uh, Crusades and the Renaissance... There was this overarching modern-day character kind of tying them all together named Desmond, and uh, his story came to a pretty complete final end in Assassin's Creed 3, and not in a very meaningful way, but that's not really here nor there. It was better than nothing. <laughs> yeah, at least they had the decency to finish that story. Yeah. Yep. But then, yeah, so... <laughs> there was... Having just finished 4 this week in kind of hopes that I would be ready for a good Unity release... <laughs> uh, Black Flag does nothing to make it quote-unquote worthy of being called Assassin's Creed 4. In fact, the the other also-ran game they're releasing, they released this week, Assassin's Creed Rogue, is being marketed as like the ending of the Haytham trilogy of Assassin's Creed 3, Assassin's Creed 4, and now and Rogue. They're like, like, wait, that was a trilogy? Apparently! <laughs> You and can also, just make up a Assassin's trilogy. Creed Rogue doesn't even star Haytham. Do you know if he's in it at all? Yes. Uh, okay. Haytham Kenway is in... Uh, or, I'm, so, I'm sorry, it's supposed to be the Kenway trilogy, not Haytham. Okay, because of... you had Edward Kenway, the grandfather, then Connor in 3, who was the grandson, and Haytham is like the middle Haytham generation. technically has some role in all three of the games. Even In Black Flag, it's pretty much just like a small cameo at the very end of the game, because he is like a small child. But, okay. no, he, he he does at least appear in all three games. So he is the the glue 
that ties the, the North American trilogy together. Okay. But really, the real star of the show are the sea shanties. Yeah, those shanties. Honestly, the real star of that show was just the sailing. Like, that was the best reviewed part of three. That was the best part expanded upon in four, I think. And that's the, like, there's still sailing in Rogue. They took it out of Unity because I guess French Revolution isn't about boats in their mind, but, um, and I think that makes sense. Like, you can't really make an Assassin's Creed game increasingly about naval combat without changing, like, I mean, like, I'd rather play those games, but I don't know if that really is what I would expect from an assassination-based game, you know? Like, it's hard to be subtle when you're a galleon. Yeah, but those (laughs) games are so not about subtlety anymore. I know, but that's a shame, because, like, when you saw... Like, remember the first game was marketed as, like, you are sneaky, you blend into crowds. And, like, really, a big part of these games was the crowd technology, which at the time was pretty impressive for... How right. dense it was. And that was what they were marketing for Unity. It was like, look at these huge crowds that are going to tank your frame rate. Yeah. If you don't Next move gen, the camera, it crowds. looks great. But, I mean, like, yeah. It's kind of difficult to develop for new hardware. Like, I'm not trying to make excuses for developers, but it's, it's a known quantity that, like, you cannot expect to just pick up all the tricks of the trade to get the most performance for your buck but, out but of you gotta work within your understanding you gotta work within your limitations or you're gonna release right. broke ass shit yep like they is, just did yeah and you know what even without the bugs unity would still not be a good game i mean i've been watching streams and there was an assassination in like an auction house or like an execution some public event and i watched the the player walk right up to his assassination target stab him in the back and the crowd literally just gasps no one runs no one moves no one does fucking anything they just like <gasps> so just busted ai or is that broken mission design or both do you think like yeah, how I, bad is the problem i would say it's probably all of the above okay i mean yeah maybe they programmed their ai to do something and they didn't that's a problem maybe they didn't program their ai to react in a realistic manner because it would hurt the frame rate even more or maybe it would just make it more less playable. Either way, mm. it's going to take me out of the experience because that is not a realistic way for a human to behave if someone is stabbed right in front of them. Yeah, like, oh god, that was scary. Let's keep walking. Like, it, it's just incredibly disappointing and like implausible. Like, how, how, how does that happen? I don't, I don't get it. And uh, there's so much cognitive dissonance going on in those games, like. Possibly because it is being made by thousands of people and you don't have the same people at least touching like every part of your game. Mm-hmm. But I find it very hard to empathize with or relate to a character who goes around just blatantly murdering people constantly. Like, this isn't a Nathan Drake kills lots of people type scenario. This is like my dude runs around in a cloak and just takes a machete to someone's throat yeah. kind of person. My, my, my guy is a cold, calculating mass murderer, and there was no way around that. And like, It's literally called Assassin's Creed, and they're trying to yeah. tell you you're the good guy. And, like, I feel like they sold that pretty well for the first few games. Like, Altair, this, you know, Crusades-era assassin. Like, I think it's easier to forgive... The further you get away from, like, modern times, I think it's easier, at least for an audience, to not worry so much about the morals of what's happening. Mm. And then with Ezio, you have basically the Renaissance-era Nathan Drake. Like, this lovable rogue who just happens to murder hundreds of people. The turning point was definitely three. Because at least with uh, Ezio, like, you could kind of see, like, yeah, these these bourgeois Italians are kind of fucking over people. They are not doing a good job of running Italy. And even yeah. with Revelations, like, you had people saying to Ezio, like, calm the fuck down, man. Like, you are letting rent vengeance fuel your life. Yep. And, and he kind of realizes that at the end of the game. It's like, I need to slow down. I need to live a life that is not just about killing now. And so yeah. that, that was somewhat of a satisfying ending for Ezio. But That's then true. you have three. You have Connor. And you have a character who doesn't even care about the nuances of the Assassins versus Templar conflict. He is literally just asking people, just like, tell me who I need to kill. Point me in that direction and tell me to kill this dude and I will go do it. He is... Sounds like the target audience for Assassin's Creed at this point. Yeah. Basically. And in that game doesn't even do a very good job of explaining to you why the Templars are so bad that you must kill them in the most brutal fashion possible. Like that you, Yeah, you must sneak up on them and kill them unsuspecting. Like, 
It doesn't justify that kind of combat. They go they go well out of their way to actually make the Templars have a rational mindset in terms of the way that the new world should be established. Like there were way too many times in Assassin's Creed where I thought what the Templars were saying made more sense than the Assassins. Huh. Which is like you're not the only one who felt that way too. Like there just wasn't ethical justification given to the assassin side that was I felt like plausible. And I, I had a blast playing Black Flag, but the story w- was not great. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, if it was like trying to make me feel like a bad guy, like Edward is very much a pirate. He's not like lovable rogue like Ezio. Like, no, he's straight up pirate, like doing piratey things with piratey people. Like, yeah. Blackbeard is your friend. He's not the enemy yeah. of the game. He is one of your bros. But as a result, he's not really an assassin or a Templar. He's just kind of like a guy who found allies in unexpected places. He becomes an assassin by the end of the game. Right. But yeah. But it almost feels like unnecessary to his character, I thought, you know? Mm-hmm. And especially, so, like, I didn't really buy the whole, like, that he was supposed to feel guilty for selling out the assassins, since when he did that, he had no idea what assassins were or why he should care about their whole conflict with the Templars. Yeah, there really wasn't a turning point where he was like, oh, shit. I fucked up. Even when he, you had these like side missions that you were helping assassins, and he'd be like, yo, I did a thing that kind of dicked you over, but if you help me get this key, I'll help you out in return. Yeah. And that kind of made sense because he was getting something in return, so the, the kind of like face turn at the end of the game wasn't sold very well. Yeah. But yeah, if they were trying to make Black Flag make me care more about the assassins they did not succeed in that respect i mean at least black flag didn't make me like the templars more which is more than i can say of assassin's creed 3 yeah but (laughs) the highlight of black flag had nothing to do with assassins or templars it had everything to do with being a pirate yeah which as it turns out is a great like concept for a game so maybe instead of making unity ubisoft should have made like black flag 2 subtitle (laughs) <laughs> just just spin yeah. that off as it's like its own fa- franchise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would have been. Uh, there's there's been so few good pirate games, and they've been really really good when they have come out. Yep. I mean, I I joked with you guys that Black Flag feels to me like the gritty HD remake of Wind Waker I never knew I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> and in some ways, yeah. I I might prefer Wind Waker more, but there's a lot to like about Black Flag. I just wish that it had been put together in a more coherent package because there's a ton of stuff to do in that game, but not really a lot connecting it. Yeah, it's not contextualized at all. And that's my problem with all of the games that have come out recently through the Assassin's Creed. It's like, Mm -hmm. okay, so each new game has had its new feature or its new trick, but they're just adding on top of each other instead of taking anything away because you're a AAA game. Why would you take anything away ever? But I think when... with three is when it hits peak of being too much and not enough direction towards what you should be doing Mm -hmm. or too much of it was token. Like, Oh, here's your, this is the first, uh, it's, it's what, um, the saints row games do very obliquely like, Oh, this is your introduction to this type of a event. So then from here on out, you can go find these by yourself on the mini map. Whereas while saints row does that with tug and cheek, like, Assassin's Creed isn't self-aware enough, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, to be able to do that effectively. And so it becomes like the most game and not the best game. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Saints Row is a franchise written by people that love Adult Swim. Like that sort of randomness sort of fits in that yeah. story and that sort of style. Was where... there actually an Adult Swim radio station in that game, in 3? I believe so. Yeah. That sounds especially fitting, man. Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> but you're right. It's exactly that kind of like style and with, uh, humor. Well, with Assassin's Creed, that sense of randomness just feels incredibly disjointed and unorganized. Yeah, I feel like, for lack of a better word, it, it feels video gamey. It in like in a bad way. It really does feel like. I mean, obviously, they didn't do this because you can't have a whiteboard in a room full of thousands of people across the world. But it just feels like there's a long list of things that are, are under the headline. Wouldn't it be cool if? And yep. they just wrote down a bunch of ideas and threw it in a video game. Yes. And yes, there is a Adult Swim radio station on uh, on Saints Row the Third. 
Yeah, I thought so. So now um, we fact check that. Yeah. Yep. We're journalists as hell over here. Yep. But so I guess what what this is all kind of getting at is like you know design by committee seems to be the problem, or at least something like that has been kind of plaguing Assassin's Creed, where it's trying to be too many things to to too many people, and it's kind of lost its way since the core conceit of the franchise, for better or worse, the whole Desmond thing rants course and now it's like well what is assassin's creed about anymore well granted like, jade it... raymond hasn't been working on these games pretty much since the first one or the first two but sure i did think it was kind of telling that she is no longer with ubisoft as of this year yes i thought so too and like uh patrice uh what's his name Does uh no the original lead of assassin's creed oh yeah i'm thinking of a comedian oh <laughs> I, I was thinking of a hockey player there, so that's over two right here. <laughs> Patrice, French-sounding name here. Yes. So he he was the original lead of the franchise. Yeah, of Assassin's Creed, I believe. Um, I thought Jade Raymond was the lead of one. Um, she may have been like producer, and he may have been like director or something, or vice versa. I know they were both like names associated with the series, but neither is um, involved anymore. Is the point? Yeah, the point is the the original like push behind this franchise is long gone um and i think it's it's a weird situation where you have a big money maker and a big name for a big publisher that um is quickly showing to fans that like there's not a whole lot of consistent focus direction here and uh if you don't have that how do you keep selling it and i think that you know a good point of contrast is call of duty which you know i think a lot of us were more excited for unity than call of duty earlier this year just thinking yep. yeah cool a big step sure. forward for Assassin's Creed and Call of Duty is going to be Call of Duty, but um, you have the rare exception where Sledgehammer was able to turn the series around after a pretty bad Call of Duty last year and inject some new life into it. Whereas The thing about Call of Duty is it, it made sense to why Activision chose that route, because there is data to suggest that there is a substantial number of people that buy that game, play the multiplayer, and never even touch the single-player campaign. So for someone to say, like, oh yeah, the single-player campaign of Call of Duty is just kind of there and mostly trash, like, I'm fine with that. I'm like, okay, that's not a priority for them. They just want some sort of highlight reel to be able to show on, like, Super Bowl commercials. Mm -hmm. But Assassin's Creed is is all single-player, especially this year. Like, yeah, yeah, they used to have a multiplayer, but obviously not very many people played it. I enjoyed it, but I didn't sink a ton of time into it. But for a a narrative-focused game like this, for them to make it such a clusterfuck is just who is this appealing to now yeah i mean That's... they they bragged in the marketing that it took three years and 10 teams to make assassin's creed unity and i just looked at that and i thought who in their right mind would want a creative property made by 10 teams like yeah, that's. I was going to bring that up. Is like, does it matter? I mean, we we struggle to remember who the creative leads were for this game originally. But does it? Would it matter if they were still there? Because there's probably about twelve different groups trying to organize this whole thing, and having one person with the vision for the game isn't going to make a damn of difference with that many people involved. I can't mm-hmm. imagine wanting to be the person on top of that pyramid because there doesn't seem like there's a winning gambit as far as no. that goes. Like in Ubisoft's mind, like. If the game does well, congratulations, you did what we expected. But if the game does poorly, then it's it's all on you. It's like, why didn't you like properly shepherd this game of 4,000 people? Yeah, I mean, why do you think it's so scary to work in AAA? Like, that's why it's the big boom and bust industry, is because the stakes are so high for games like these. And it's it's got to suck for the average person who just wants to make games when like your career is riding on so many other dependencies. Like, yeah, and it's not and good it's, for anybody. It doesn't sound like it's a very fun environment to be in for some in in other regards as well. Just like high stress, high volume of work, twenty four seven, and not enough reward compared with other fields and facets of the programming industry. It doesn't yeah, have I mean, to be that way though, and it isn't no. that way for most games. Like Ubisoft has mm. another big game coming out next week, uh, Far Cry Four, and Far Cry Three did not come out last year. Far Cry 3 came out, what, two years ago? Two years ago. Yeah, and Blood Dragon came out last year, but Blood Dragon is an entirely different animal made by a different team, and it was mostly a mod to Far Cry 3. In fact, it's literally, yeah, like, it's literally Far Cry 3 colon Blood Dragon. So, yeah, and it was also just you know reusing the engine and using different assets. It was a much smaller project. Yep. And the also being that like that yeah. team had enough time to go back to the drawing board and 
give Far Cry the time it needed to the next for the next game to be a meaningful step forward, right? Like but, we haven't played it yet, but based mm-hmm. on the reviews, it seems like it, it succeeded. Even we're at the point where a couple of, I am yeah. I am nervous about Far Cry Four. Like I am apprehensive to buy an Ubisoft product, knowing that they are a company that feels comfortable shipping a game in the state that Unity is in. Yeah, yeah. I mean that obviously the shareholders feel that way too. Uh, their t- stock dropped like ten percent this week because of all the stuff about Unity. So I'm sure the game That's is why selling trying to, quite well. Yeah, uh, but, yeah. but yeah. what's gonna it's gonna be in two regards. It's gonna come around and hurt them. It's gonna come around next year when they try and sell another copy, which is why Black Flag kind of struggled last year. Be, uh, Even though it was better it, than three. Yeah, right. Three was the big one, but it was it Black hurt Flag the is easy to write off as part of the whole next-gen console transition, too, because it is a game across five different SKUs. God. Six. Six if you count PC. And then this year, like, they were talking about that possibility with Call of Duty because last year's game was reviewed poorly. Mm. Or yeah. relatively poorly. I think it's a it's a weird situation. Um, I do think that the long tail of Unity is going to be hurt by this bad press because it got pretty mainstream. Like, you know, we were talking about Forbes picking this up. Yeah. Um, so... I think that that news probably travels further than it used to. Um, it is a, and with these games, it is a really high profile way to shoot yourself in the foot. And because they're taking so much of the identity away, like even more so than Call of Duty, where there is a lead developer whose name is attached to each of the Call of Duty games. Like this is just Ubisoft. No, it's you Ubisoft don't know Montreal. Who is... Yeah, that's true. You, you play that, that game, it says an Ubisoft Montreal production. I Doesn't think Far they've done a. Too? Hmm. I think they've done a better job of making it just seem like a, a general Ubisoft joint than uh, Activision has with Call of Duty stuff. It certainly feels that and way I think when that's you watch the end credits, but I think every Ubisoft game is that, that way at this point. Like, even fucking Rayman had credits that lasted a goddamn half hour. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that's... I mean, all sorts of AAA games have huge credits, but <laughs> no this one, one is... close to Ubisoft. No, I know. Yeah, it's like watching a full own. movie. I mean, even even Scott Pilgrim vs. the World had mile-long credits. And that was a fucking overgrown Flash game for all intents and purposes. But It was a good game. <laughs> it was No, I, I like it. I played a lot of that game. But it was a really, really big 2D side-scroll beat-em-up. It's more and, than you thought would be working on it. Basically a sequel to River City oh God. Ransom. Yeah. Like, it was like, really? This many people? Like, you had to farm this much of the game out to fucking China? Now apparently it hit like a massive brick wall in the middle of production, but yeah, oh. it's yeah, it had to get scrambled to put together last minute. And I remember reading about that when Mercenary Kings was being launched on Kickstarter because the team that like the core couple of people that made Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, not the outsourced people, but the ones in Canada, they went to develop Mercenary Kings and they they were telling tales out of school about how goddamn awful it was to make Scott Pilgrim, just like cluster. Yeah, well, to be fair, Mercenary, Mercenary Kings isn't that game. great either. No, no, but the point—the point being, yes, Ubisoft's throwing a million people at any title nowadays, mm-hmm. but they've made it so generic. Like this game is just made by Ubisoft. It's not made by any one team in particular. We can't tell who's taking the lead necessarily. Okay, we can because we look at this stuff. But even compared to Call of Duty, like Call of Duty, saying this is a sledgehammer game. This was an Infinity War game. With this one, it doesn't stand out quite as much, and that's hurting the whole thing in general because you can't even see like which one's going to be a good one see and it's crazy that it's crazy that triple a has gotten to the point where it's not just different franchises going every year but it's different teams doing the same franchise it is insane you made that comment earlier about 10 teams in three years that is crazy yeah and i feel like that you know that in that way i feel like we hit a tipping point where it's just it's too big too bloated to work like you cannot have organizational cohesion or artistic vision communicated effectively across that big of a group of people. But um, going back to what you said about like knowing, needing to know which teams are making which entry in this franchise. Like I feel like we're still at a point where the average consumer will never know that. And we've talked about this on, I think the call of duty podcast too. Well, there's a like, reason mm-hmm. that Ubisoft doesn't follow the Activision model. Like Activision has different names for its different studios. You have the infinity Ward studio, you have Treyarch, you have sledgehammer. Ubisoft, it's Ubisoft name plus location. It's Ubisoft Montreal. It's Ubisoft Sofia. It's sure. Ubisoft Shanghai. Like It's like what um, Rockstar does. Or mm-hmm. 2K. Yeah, 2K. So yeah, like I think they, they want that confusion. They want 
that sort of like air of mystery because you can they have like people Nintendo in that regard, huh? They want to be like Nintendo in that regard, I think. I think it's yeah, more where... that they don't want people making that distinction. They don't want people saying, oh, this is a Sledgehammer year I can buy in, or oh, this is an Infinity Ward year, I'm going to skip it. Right. Mm-hmm. If then it's... again, that's only really a problem you run into when one of those studios really slips up. And that hadn't happened with Call of Duty until Infinity Ward, of all the all the teams, did that last year. So. Well, the, the smoking well, creator of Infinity Ward. Yeah. The thing is, like, with a lot of the publicity around Advanced Warfare, like you have a lot of critical people saying like they're surprised by how good this year's game is. And I've heard a lot of people either saying, A, I haven't played a Call of Duty game since Modern Warfare 2, which, mm-hmm. according to a lot Probably of people, right would be the last great Call of Duty. And you also have people saying like, uh, basically that it's been a bad series since Modern Warfare 3. Which is mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's that's after like Infinity War blew up and Weston Zampella pieced out to form Respawn. Right. Yeah. So but to kind of cap this section off, maybe I don't know, I have one more question, but um Okay. So is is the problem here that it's just a, a perfect storm of a franchise in need of more direction and too many cooks in the kitchen? Yeah. Which can which can mess up the broth? As we all know. <laughs> God damn it. I mean how could how could those two so much. to to take the analogy further, how could those two things not be a problem? Like how yeah. how do you not have a perfect storm when you have a shitload of people in a room trying to make something and no one knows what they're trying to make? And to skewer it even further, it's not just a bunch of people in the room, it's a it's also marketing suits trying to sell something too. Or even to continue this analogy, like, yeah, say they're all trying to make one coherent meal, but you have one group, everyone's making something different, and no one knows if it's all going to fit together well. Mm-hmm. That's sort of the and problem you got... with with uh, Assassin's Creed, is that you have these pe- different teams making different parts of a game, some of which aren't even good parts, and then they yeah. just shove it all together, and it's just like, okay, it's shippable. Call it good. God, how do you think it feels to be the, the team that worked on the bomb crafting system for one of the Assassin's Creed games? And that was like what you worked on for a full year. Oy. And then nobody liked it. It didn't fit with the core game. Like it's There's been evidence of this all ever since I think the series really started to take off. But it's never been this crippling for the entire experience, I think, until just now. Like 3 was a warning sign, but I think it the, looks like Unity. The only just... team really capable of being complimented at this point on the, on the Assassin's Creed team is the art team, the people that are just, yeah. like, spending hours and hours pumping out art assets for the game. Because that is, like, the one consistent thing about Assassin's Creed is they are always very impressive visually. Yeah, just the historical yeah. recreation, d- attention to detail in those games is just... I cannot imagine it was easy to completely recreate the Cathedral of Notre Dame in a high-definition 3D environment. Yeah, I read a, a feature about the person... Who, there was one modeler who spent two years on that. That was, wow. that was their job was recreating the cathedral of Notre Dame but I think it yeah like yeah. I, they they deserve some sort of credit because it looks extremely impressive yeah and I mean like if I ever play Unity it'll probably be just to look at all the architecture and I'm okay that's always with been that. the best part like the art design has been so solid throughout all those games and then mm-hmm. not just seeing the art design continue but just how good Unity looks like how jaw dropping it is when it's not being really buggy but yeah. <laughs> yeah, operating on the assumption that it will be a game that will be heavily patched in the future and at least brought to a more playable state. Like, I have no qualms yeah. about someday finding that game on deep discount and just blazing through the story as fast as I can. Just kind of see, like, Revolution era France, even if they don't give much service to that time period or that storyline. Yeah. I still just want to walk around that city and just see what that's like. like yeah, that's a I big mean, part of open world games, I think. And they always e- did that well. Even though it's a story, even though it's a specific story in a single player experience, like at a certain point I'm thinking it's, it's since this is such an annualized series, like if I'm going to go play an Assassin's Creed, why wouldn't I just either pick up the newest one or go wait for the next one instead of getting something like this cheap? I, hmm. I, I mean, you already have Black Flag, but yeah, if if someone had a like just bought an Xbox One or a PS4, like I would highly recommend that they just skip uh, uh, 
Unity for the time Unity being for and now. just go straight to Black Flag. Yeah, that's probably the best one to play at this point. Certainly on the new consoles. It looks real, real good. Yeah. Well, that's that was me also putting a really too subtle segue onto things, things because we were talking about this the other day um, in our little private enclave chat, and uh, it, Nick and it, Nick and Aaron specifically asking like about why I'm so insane and why I'm driven to get the newest sports game as opposed to just playing an older one. It's like, what you, do you need the rosters to be absolutely the newest? No, not necessarily, but at a certain point the marketing has worked on my lizard brain where if I'm going to play this, I want the newest one. Hmm. I guess I don't really feel susceptible to that with other kinds of games. Like I tend to seek out old classics that I missed and try and play them. And I don't really care if like you, you, you do have hmm. people saying with sports games, like, Oh, like Madden 2004 was like, the best one or something, but yeah. it's kind of a rare breed. Like, that's not really the the common mentality when it comes to sports games. Yeah. I think for, in a lot of ways, it's, at least from the marketing perspective, which is what I see more of as someone who doesn't play a lot of these games, it seems like it's more about just, like, it's Madden season. Like, the new game is out, my friends are all going to be playing it, and that's probably yeah. the biggest draw. Well, I, I made that comparison in our chat. Like, there was a, um, the last EA Sports baseball game that they made before the license went different ways. Um, MVP Baseball 2005, which was the yeah the last major league game that they made, that was patched forever and ever and ever on PC because people loved how it played, and it was the only PC version available for a long time. But also it was just a I don't better ever game. Remember the MVP games being especially well regarded? Yeah, well, I there's other games too. Like there's a there's a couple of racing games that have been updated since the Windows 98 era and so are still playable. The EA franchise AAA or triple play. Uh, at a certain point, I think it was. Oh, so they had different names, kind of like. Yeah, I think they changed it at like some point. NBA Live, and then NBA. That what was it? That oh, was that live. name. It was almost named, and then it was just so terrible they just kept canceling the game. And now it's God. Yeah. What was that? NBA Live again. I keep wanting to say Hang Time, but that was the Jam sequel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's not important. No, but I think the last baseball game I played was Ken Griffey Jr. We yeah. did. We did make a case earlier this week with Nick, though, that I mean, we we talked about the different studios for Call of Duty. Whereas with the sports games, you usually have just the one studio making the game every year, so you yeah. can't right. you can't make those sweeping changes. Especially because if you did make a huge change to the way the game played, you run the risk of breaking something, and yep. yeah. they don't want to ship a a broken game. You'll create a time paradox. To borrow a Metal Gear term. <laughs> but that's like yeah. A, yeah which you know i wonder what that's going to mean for like th- th- this isn't the situation where there are multiple teams but like looking at how um saints row 3 to saints row 4 there was so much change in like how the game plays fundamentally and like what that does to the overarching like narrative of what that game is that it could be really dangerous for a sports game to on the b team season introduce like a whole new way of passing and then see that go away in the next uh version well, there are people I mean, that cite that as being a that problem years, for like, Call of Duty games, too. Like, people wondering, yeah. like, why yeah. is the fire in a Treyarch game better than the fire <laughs> in an Infinity Ward game? It sounds like because of petty politics, but yeah, it's a stupid question for consumers to have to ask. But who's to say place. something like that wouldn't happen in a sports franchise? Who's to say that, like, uh, if they did do, like, an, an every-other-year thing with EA Tiburon, like, mm-hmm. who's to say Tiburon wouldn't get bitter? In an off year, if some other team introduced a new concept and it was received really well in reviews, and like, who's to say there wouldn't be some petty bullshit? Like, no, this is our franchise. You don't get I mean, to like get credit for us. Yeah, I mean that's a big part of why managing large group dynamics is difficult. Like, and mm-hmm. if it's just like you can make, let's say you double the size of Tiburon, but call it all Tiburon, but you bring in a whole new B team of people under that name to make Madden on the off years, like. That's probably disruptive, even if they have the same name to the organization, you know? This, so. this might just well, yeah, be maybe. my, like, uh, kind of proletariat, like, late 20s point of view, but the idea of managing human beings at all sounds like a thankless, terrible job to me. Yeah, which is why we're actually going to rebrand this as an anarchist podcast. So, <laughs> fuck you, fuck that. Every- no, just the... That Nothing point is, is true. That Everything's permitted. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. 
and that's and how we brought it full circle. Oh, man. Uh, that whole process or that whole thing came up because I've, I'm working on a story for our website and reading about FIFA and um, reading about FIFA 15 is like my, my brain started going down that path. Like uh, I started, you know, to pick up the um, winning 11 title from last year again to try and play. It's like, oh, this isn't terribly satisfying, even though I've been a big winning 11 fan. And then doing research and reading about this stuff for this article, like thinking more like I got a little nostalgia for an old copy of fifa and i'm hoping that it's still at my parents house with my old uh, xbox stuff now nostalgia for an old sports game is kind of also a weird thing in general but i started reading more about fifa it's like that's like missing mm-hmm. my geforce 2 <laughs> it's on it's not as much nostalgia for the specific game as much as the memories of what you did within it because you're building a team you're building a franchise and also it was a time like i'll i'll okay. expand about this at the t- in the article but it's about the time and place i was when um when I was building that, so it was, I can it was a good on, experience. Only, I can relate to that with like racing sims. Yeah, I, I can get it when they do have those loss of licenses. Like I can kind of understand if there was like a fan base for MVP, and the license was taken away. Then sure, of course they're going to support the old game. And yeah, I like I remember when like NFL Two K Five. Like I played a lot of that. Oh game. god, yeah, that one too. And that was actually a year where people was like, oh, like Two K is better than Madden. And then yep. the next year, like. EA wrapped that shit up Bought by the license. buying the NFL license. So, of course, like people yep. are going to romanticize 2K5 for years. I mean, at this mm-hmm. point, is 2K5 still like the best football game? Probably not. No, but... it's Blitz 2K. Huh? No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, they even tried to cash in on that a couple years later yeah. with a with generic slash advertised by a couple of old legends football game that was like, oh, this is all the same gameplay of, a, of 2K5 with a couple of improvements, but without any of the licenses, and it sold even worse than 2K5 did. And 2K, the 2K and, and NFL games were obviously second fiddle to Madden at the time. Yeah. How old is John Madden, out of curiosity? His, he's in his 80s, I think? Jeez, that he, is an old man. He's retired, though. He's not doing Oh, he's, like, he's not even doing anymore. announcing anymore. Yeah. Born in 1936, so wow. yeah, late 70s. They they gotta like buy his name like posthumously too like oh yeah there's it's no like way Tom they're Hansley gonna name probably. the franchise something else after Madden dies yeah it's always going to be Madden yeah this so. is the what the twenty sixth Madden this year mm-hmm. well they wow. they literally named last year Madden twenty five yeah it was just I which, was just seeing if I could count if they do make it to twenty twenty six making Madden games it's going to be very confusing twenty twenty four oh that's right. You're ahead. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, because honestly, if I th- if I see any franchise making it to 2015, it's or 2025, it's probably Matt. Well, then again, it depends on like public sentiment about football changing, but um, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that sort of stuff is always the trail that follows behind the popularity. Like that'll still be pot, or that'll still be a game, but it could very well still be a game, but it will be. Yeah. Uh, maybe no. it won't be selling nearly as well. Who knows? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, all these lawsuits and all these health concerns could really come to a head. Or who yeah, knows? LeBron maybe, James saying that maybe Madden twenty twenty five will be our game of the year. We don't know. Oh my Ooh. god! What if it's like? What if it's like made by Bioware? <laughs> <laughs> you have like moral choices on who to pass to. I want to see. The, I want to see the romance options for the twenty five <laughs> football game. No, now you just got Pull me thinking right about... Pull right trigger for a face mask violation. Now you've got me thinking about Bioware making a game based off of the short-lived ESPN show Playmakers. Ugh. If God, you I remember that. Know. But how, how good would a Bioware Friday Night Lights game be? Ooh. Oh my god. <laughs> that would be our game of the year. That or like Telltale making it. Yeah. Telltale can knock that out of the park. Paragon, Texas forever. Paragon interrupts. Clear highs, full hearts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I didn't know I needed that when I need that in my life. <laughs> oh my god. I gotta go watch that show again too. Oh, oh. It's, it's good. Coach, Coach Taylor. Taylor Austin so Riggins. Good. Coach Taylor. Riggins. Coach Taylor. Riggins. Riggins. <laughs> Coach. <laughs> Coach's wife. 
And this is the problem oh, God. with video games is that our fantasies <laughs> will never be as mediocre as reality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so good. Well, Speaking of fantasies, <laughs> why do we want Dragon Age so badly? If Mass Effect is gone and Friday Night Lights is cancelled, like why even bother playing a game with moral choices anymore? <laughs> I don't know, man, but we do not have the right person on this podcast to tell us why we want that right now. I know, but I want it. I, I think that's exactly why we need to have this discussion while he's not here. <laughs> yeah. To, so to clarify, because like, I was right, guys. To clarify and to inform you, dear reader, about what's going on, um, the as soon as the review embargo lifted for Dragon Age in Inquisition, Aaron immediately launched into near-Earth orbit, and I don't think he's come down ever since. Yeah, no, he's on cloud fucking nine because he was like, you know, and like he, like me, wanted this game to review well because he's probably the most stalwart supporter of the Dragon Age franchise in this group. Uh, he loved Dragon Age 2, which when I press him on it, turns out he actually didn't love it, but he wants me to play it. <laughs> he loves the idea of it. Yeah, and like, so he wanted this to be like an I told you so moment for like this series is worth playing. It's worth considering. I told you guys. And like, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm in a weird position because like, I actually love Dragon Age 1. I played the hell out of it. I just finished the expansion this year. I think Dragon Age 2 is pretty bad. I'm playing it right now. I don't like it. And I thought that Inquisition stood a good chance of reviewing well. Like, Bioware is in a weird place right now. It's kind of not clear who's doing what and where the creative direction is with its different franchises. Like, they're making a 4v1 multiplayer game, I think. What the hell is up Bioware? with that? Bioware? Yeah. Uh, Bioware Austin is. Oh, I haven't heard anything about that. Yeah, huh. um, they announced it earlier this summer. It didn't really get big traction, though. Hmm. Um, Maybe like, they're waiting effect... to see how Evolve does before they actually like put it in full development. Yeah, because that's an that's a unknown quantity right there. But um, Yeah. But, like, I don't know. Like we're, we're obviously a group where one of the few things that unites us is our love for Mass Effect. And we've played the hell out of that series collectively. I would, I would estimate... The five of us have played through Mass Effect 1 probably, or Mass Effect 2, like, 30 times. I might even say that just for myself. <laughs> I've I, probably I, played it the least to most of you, and i play it, like, three times. No, I, I, I've, I've played it probably the least, and I think I've gone through three times fully on two different systems. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like... I've played Mass Effect 2 on three different systems. <laughs> And I've even played it multiple times on a certain alignment on PS3 because I had hard drive problems and lost my save before Mass Effect 3 came out. Yeah, oh, I, I remember that. The second time I played through was on the PS3 version because I'd moved to Japan and I didn't have my 360. And mm. in order to prepare for Mass Effect 3 inevitably coming out in 2012, I needed to have a save. That's why I spent that time going through uh, Mass Effect 2 a second time. And now I, I'm thinking about even right now, I'm thinking about firing up Mass Effect 2 and continuing on a save I have early on in the game so I can play through Mass Effect 3 a second time because a lot of my playthrough of Mass Effect 3 was when I was just sick as a dog with the flu. Hmm. That I'm even considering Dragon Age at all is a small miracle, though. Like I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm not the audience for that game. I played one on PS3, didn't like Ooh. it, thought it controlled like garbage. I got it on PC, and I spent the entire time thinking, I'd rather be playing Baldur's Gate 2. So, yeah, and then Dragon Age. That's a, that's a strong thought for you, by the way. I I I really enjoyed the Forgotten Realms games on PC. Like, not a lot of people wow, okay. at SauceQuest apparently know this about me is that I played a lot of uh, Icewind Dale, especially. Oh really? Oh, I remember that. I, I remember that. that one too. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, my Did you ever play Planescape? Huh? Did no, I never Planescape played Planescape. Oh, that was the one I liked. But yeah, in early high school, like freshman year, uh, my cousin was living with us and he was a big like D&D guy. So uh, okay. he bought a lot of the Forgotten Realms games for our home PC. Oh, okay. And I didn't really stick with it just because I, I've never really been a big PC gamer, but I remember having a lot of fun with those PC RPGs back in the day. Yeah. But Bioware's take on that just seemed like a weird compromise of Forgotten Realms and Tolkien mythology, and it mm -hmm. didn't really seem to me to really do anything new or interesting with high fantasy. Like I, I didn't really care for the writing in Dragon Age, not the way I did Mass Effect. Like okay. even though Mass Effect is probably if if Dragon Age is D and D plus Tolkien, then Mass Effect is Star Wars and Star Trek, but. 
it yep. seemed like they did more new and interesting things with with Mass Effect than what they were doing with Dragon Age, at least in my opinion. But I've always been kind of more of a sci-fi guy. I mean, speaking to my own tastes, I love both series um, a lot. I love the, the narrative trappings of each and the style of story they tell. But I'm personally much more interested in, like, theoretical near-future space travel and exploration and that kind of stuff than I am in, like, retreading Tolkien-esque tropes and yeah. sorcery and shit. Like, you know, there, there are good stories to be told there. That can be fun. I enjoy it. But, like, there's a lot more, like, that gets me thinking when I play a Mass Effect game. And I think that that matters a lot. And, yeah, just seeing how poorly Mass Effect or Dragon Age 2 did. And I did mm-hmm. play a little bit of it, and I was like, this game looks like hot garbage. Yep. And I just meant, like, visually at the time, not just critically. Oh, no, it's ugly. Like, it's a better <laughs> game than it looks, but it's it looks like shit. So Even yeah, on my PC right now. When I heard that they were making another uh, Dragon Age game and that it was going to be cross-gen, I was like, huh, okay. You guys yeah. had fun <laughs> with that. That's basically alarm bells ringing. Yeah, which they should have been. Like, that didn't sound good or smart. And who knows what those last-gen ones were like, actually. But... Yeah. Actually, but, does anyone know how those are doing? Uh, I I don't. <laughs> but oh. uh, thankfully, we don't have to worry about that. One, um, one of the things that really has um, intrigued me about the press. Yes, we do. What, Doug? What? I do have to worry about the last gen version of that. Oh, you're not going to play Dragon Age Inquisition, are you? I'm thinking about it. Doug's not going to play anything. Let's be real. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, what's really interesting <laughs> me about a lot of the publicity and reviews for this game is like. Some people are saying, both with like a positive lilt and a negative lilt, is that the first few hours of the game are politics. And I really wish that I could hear oh, that about the next Mass Effect 2. <laughs> like, yeah. if, if someone told me, like, oh yeah, the first few hours of Mass Effect 4 are space politics, I'd be like, yes! So yes, give it probably... me all of it. So I, I'm glad to hear you say that because I am the one guy who loved the fact that Mass Effect 1 is 30 minutes of shooting and then five hours of politics. Mm, I that's fucking love that sequence. Like, no, the Citadel is great. I yeah, love the Citadel. It's fucking great. It's like playing a Tex Murphy game except in space. And Wait. The, I, I, I love, like, Mass Effect 2 did a lot to improve the combat in that game. But the highlight was the, the recruitment missions and the relationship with your team. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, the way characters in Dragon Age 1, they didn't really speak to me all that way. They all, it all felt like they were mostly speaking in cliches and just archetypal characters. Like, no one really had much of a personality to them. So that's interesting to me, because I felt like the characters were better realized in Dragon Age than they were in Mass Effect 1. Hmm. Um, but did you play the whole game, or just a good chunk of it? I, I played a lot of it. I didn't see it to the ending. Okay. It's, I don't know. It's a long just, ass game. It is. There, I feel like there's a lot more that happens in the plot line than in Mass Effect One, um, which is probably why. That's another thing that kind of terrifies me about Inquisition is knowing I have to go through uh, the keep to get some of those like consequences into uh, three. Into Dragon but, Age Inquisition, yeah. Yeah, That's but weird. I'm not gonna have like the context for those things, so it's gonna be like, did you kill this character? I'm like, I don't know. Did I? Well, I haven't. Have you checked out the keep yet? I haven't, but I hear it contextualizes it well. It, uh, the, I, mean, we, it, I think the only person who's been through the keep so far is the person who's not here and who's most excited about like, Dragon Age as well. So I've looked at it, and it probably does a better job than like those Mass Effect graphic novels that they had yeah. for two and three. Mm-hmm. But it's still like it's not a perfect solution to. I didn't play the first two games of this story. It's really alarming, too, when you consider the fact that this is, like, a series where you could port your save from 1 to 2, but you can't port from 2 to 3. You can on PC. Can't Are you? Are you sure? I, I don't think I you would, can. I heard I that the would, Keep is a one-size-fits-all. I um, would imagine you'd be able to for the past-gen versions. I don't see why not. No, you can't, because I remember reading about this. The reason they did the Keep is because you might be able to import it to the Keep, and then it kind of approximates your decisions. Uh-huh. But they found that there was just, like, it, there was no way to consistently port... Well, the keep is over. The keep definitely recognizes mm-hmm. that I have played some of one and two because it did show like it gave me progress bars for the first two games. Yeah, I, I saw that too when I booted it up. I've been looking for an option to kind of erase that because I have no idea what decisions I made when I was playing through those first two games. 
oh man, I got so invested in the game. It could have just been where I was at in life, where like I had a job I hated and a lot of free time. But yeah, yeah that's I, another I thing that terrifies me is that I just don't have the same free time that I used to when I played huge RPGs. Yeah, it's it's weird. Like I think a lot of us played at least a few RPGs when we were like teenagers and had just shit tons of time to blow on them. Like you played yeah. a lot of Final Fantasy Tactics, I know. Oh, so much, so much <laughs> tactics. And like an eighty-five hour RPG, even a Dragon Age, which I, you know I I want that. I just don't know how long it's going to take me. It's probably going to take me months that, to get through that game. That does not sound enticing to me the way it used to. <laughs> No, that, that, that sounds, sounds like, intimidating. Ooh. That sounds terrifying. Yeah, that's a big part of why I've been such a big fan of Telltale's games, where it's like I can play a couple hours of an episode, and it's spaced out, and I get a great, rich storytelling experience that delivers a lot of the same highs that a Bioware game does without mm-hmm. all the filler. But just to show that I'm not like wholly like drinking gallons of Kool Aid the way Aaron is. There, there are still elements of, of Bioware's production that make me a little bit apprehensive. Like, I was never a super huge fan of the way Bioware handles like relationships and romance. It was mm-hmm. kind of acceptable in one and two to an extent, but Mass it really Effect. got tired in three. Yeah, Mass Effect. I'm talking about. Yeah, and just I've seen some clips of uh, three or Inquisition, and I actually sent you guys the one of like. The the Quarian character? Oh, yeah. Not Quarian, yeah, the, the, um, I, I forget what the race Kunari? is called. Kunari, yeah. The, 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 the dude Prince with the huge ass horns. The Freddy yeah. Prince Jr. character. <laughs> and it's just yeah. lots of like puns about taking like a, a bull-sized cock or whatever. <laughs> and like nothing about it really seems interesting or compelling or even like re- relatable to me. It's all just like, oh, this is like bad. It's a cheap joke. It's bad porn parody of what Dragon Age should be. Yeah. Mm. Like, I think they're afraid to, like, try to tread that... Which, you know, it's precarious to try to con- to sell somebody on a sex scene in a game, of all things. Especially when your character can look like whatever you want. So, you it's know, just... I don't know. I really loved... Uh, one of the best parts of Saints Row 4, which Doug is playing through right now... Yes. The is, romancing? Yes. <laughs> How it's literally just, hey, you want to fuck? Yeah, sure, let's go to it. <laughs> yeah. That is literally what it is, and it is really funny... Because it, yeah, it, it's, it's such perfect. a good satire. The, no, the the first one I did, I saw. I walked up, you know, to to your engineering, your your staff person, Kinsey, at the in the ship the first time. It's like romance. What the hell? And then so your your character goes, "Hey, Kinsey, want to fuck?" And she just punches you and jumps on you. <laughs> yeah. It is so perfect. As a, as a piss take on Mass Effect, it is perfect. But yeah, the only real. Yeah. Uh, praise i would give to bioware in that respect is that at least at this point uh most of the npcs do seem to have like defined sexuality it's not just like whatever gender your character is they're into that yeah yeah like there is like specifically like this character's gay if you're a woman he's not gonna be into you like this character is straight if you're a man he's she's not gonna be in or she's not gonna be into you like if you want certain characters you have to play a certain way whereas before at least with, I remember Caden. Like, it was so weird that like the first game, it's like, yep, he's straight, and like, yeah, three, and then you can three, kinda, like, turn him gay, which is like, eh, does it work that way? I don't think well, so. I think he'll, romance, he'll romance female or male shepherd in three, right? Yes. So yeah, they they transform his character from maybe I don't know. You can make an argument that maybe he's like a closeted bisexual in the first game, but I don't. No, that doesn't make sense, like, the way they portrayed him, so... Especially it's, the way they like portrayed that universe. Like, if this is really humanity yeah. 500 years in the f- future, like, is closeted bisexuality still going to be the thing then? Yeah. Hopefully not. Like, yeah. For for a game that's, in many ways, pretty socially progressive, it was a strange way to portray human relationships. Mm. Or just relationships It, it definitely seemed like it was just kind of reacting to audience demand. Like, there was some subset of the population that wanted to see like a male shepherd Kayan romance. But what's more important, like catering or like telling a coherent story? Yeah. You think Bioware would have erred on the side of telling a coherent story, but then look at everything Mass Effect 3 did. Yeah. And Mass Effect 3 is a big reason why I'm apprehensive to jump into a Bioware game at this point. Yeah. Well, but I, I'm cautiously optimistic. Maybe. I think Inquisition could be great. 
maybe not having very high expectations will benefit me in this respect. I think so. I think I think it's one of those situations where you may be pleasantly surprised, especially the less you read about it. I don't know if you've been watching streams or whatever, but um, it seems like a game that could... The only reason I am excited is because I have been reading about it. Because hmm. just based on their marketing, I was just like, yeah, you guys have fun with this bullshit. I'm going to be over here playing literally anything else. Yeah, it, I, I uh, don't like any of the marketing I've seen for this game. It feels very, like... We're trying to get the Mass Effect crew, but not like the hardcore ones, just the ones who help bolster the sales numbers who like heard that Mass Effect has some cool shooting in it. Yeah, and, and it's it's only been reviews like, hey, there are these whole parts of the game that EA is not talking about. And I was like, yeah. oh, okay. Maybe they should have been talking about that. Yeah, maybe people kind of needed to see that Bioware can still do what Bioware did best decades ago. And especially like, because there's now a third tier of fantasy that Bioware seems to be drawing from with, in terms of like the politics and everything, which is Game of Thrones. Like, it seems yep. like they're, they're really stepping into like these neighboring kingdoms that are all like kind of had, like, they're not just at war. It's not just like constant war. It's like, no, they have different relationships. They have different personalities, different like customs and standards and that sort of thing. And you need to right. work around that. There's intrigue and, like, subterfuge and complex politics. And, like, that sounds like a good step for that for that company in that game. It was something they only alluded to in the first game. Especially since that's something we can do in games now. Like, when you talk about fantasy of old games, like, is either all action or it was all text. Yeah. There wasn't a lot in between. And, yeah, so, things like Baldur's Gate, like, they gave you multiple solutions to problems. But the dialogue still wasn't super deep. Yeah. So, what I think what you're saying then is that we have the technology to implement something like the Nemesis system, but for nations. <laughs> oh man, civilization with a Nemesis system. <laughs> oh my god, that is kind of what civilization does in Civ Five, at least. But that would be really no. good. Civ still doesn't do a very good job of re remembering things. No. It's like, it's, oh yeah, we signed a peace treaty about 100 years ago. Oh well, I want this thing. We're going to war. Uh, Civ 5 does a better job of it, but yeah, I understand that. A lot of it's still window dressing, I feel like. A lot of, well, like... a lot of it's just numbers. I mean, every game, duh, but some of it is doing what, depends on what you do, will piss him off at certain points and do different things. And depending on who it is, they have different tolerances for how much sure. they can be pissed off for that. But the meters and the thresholds and stuff, they're the reason why it feels any it ever works or doesn't work is because of like what's hidden from player view. Nick, I, yeah. I don't remember this about Dragon Age, but there is no like renegade paragon meter, right? Like there isn't No. There are influence meters, I think, with individual people. Right, but there's no, like, generic, like, I am bad guy, I am good guy, or I am loose cannon, I am by the book. Right, it's just, this person approves or disapproves of what you do, okay. and sometimes you make decisions that affect multiple people. So that's a little, that's progressive, at least. <laughs> I think so. Better than what Mass Effect has. I, I really hope whatever the next Mass Effect is doesn't, uh, they probably will, but I, it, it would be nice if they just did away with the whole Paragon Renegade thing. Yeah, I feel like the more I look at that, the more I feel like it was a, a ham-fisted solution to trying to give a sense of player agency. It, yep. it made sense as, like, this is the first game we made after Knights of the Old Republic. But yeah, yeah at this point, it seems very dated. Yeah, like I mentioned, I've, I've been watching my girlfriend play through the series, and she's on the third game. And at this point, like, the fact that there are so many points where I feel like you need to just grind for Paragon or Renegade or Charm or Intimidate... It just, it feels so like they're trying to incorporate old antiquated systems with a modern coat of paint rather than... It hasn't really felt up. like you had to grind for anything since 1. I, I, after 1, yeah. I just felt like I am choosing a path and I'm only going with that path, which they made stupidly easy because it's always at a certain point part of the menu. So every That's conversation, true. I just held the stick in a certain direction and I pressed X for every option. Yeah. yeah. Which is not I mean, a good approach to storytelling. No. Mm. No, you shouldn't just give it away to the player like that. Like, I think the best, the most fun I had with that series is when I just didn't ignored all that stuff, all the positioning, all the colors of the radio menu, and thought like, how do I want to play this situation? 
And I feel like the more opaque you make that, the better it is. And like, that's actually one thing I'm worried about for Inquisition is like in the first Dragon Age, you just had a numbered list of conversation options like you would in Baldur's Gate. And then two, they went to the radial menu with like, not just like in Mass Effect where there are colors, but like there are icons indicating like, say this if you want to sound like a smart ass, say this if you want to sound like you're mean or vicious, and say this if you want to be like the peacemaker. Mm. And it's just... Well, it's not that I want Bioware to implement something like this, but I, I did enjoy in uh, Alpha Protocol, the Obsidian game, mm-hmm. that it wasn't like good, bad, evil. It was just like, what kind of spy do you want to be? Do you want to be like the romantic spy? Do you want to be like the take-no-prisoner spy? And yeah. They kind of... It was interesting to have a system where you were fitting more into like prescribed roles rather than just good, evil. But... I, I like that, too. Yeah, I, it's hard to say like what, where they can really go with that kind of system now. I I know that you're not a huge fan of Skyrim, but I did like in that where it was similar to Fallout, minus the karma. Like mm-hmm. there were definitely moments in Skyrim where I would think, is this the good choice? Is this the bad choice? Or am I just going to come across as like an asshole no matter what I choose in this circumstance? Was there a meter or any sort of system showing your overall morality in that game? Not that I recall. Like, in certain parts of the world, there were people that re- would react to decisions that you made. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember, like, just, like, if going full evil and, like, having people fear me wherever I went. Yeah, I like that about Bethesda's approach to games. Like, I can just do what feels right in the moment and then not, like, be, like, have this... Like, devil horns spread out, like, in Fable, you know? Yeah. And honestly, like, Fallout did a reasonable job, too. Like, the good karma option didn't always make you feel good. And the bad karma option didn't always seem to be, like, you were doing the wrong thing. Yeah. It felt like the karma system was just, like, it's a Fallout game. We have to have a karma system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, um, any last thoughts on any of this stuff? I'm a lot, well, I'm sad that Unity is not good, but I'm not terribly surprised. I'm a lot more excited for Dragon Age now at this point this week than I was this point last week. And I'm hoping to God that Aaron doesn't ramrod that up to the top three of our game of the year list, just purely based on hype. Well, I mean, he's going to play, he's going to have the game and he's going to put time into it. The question is, is he going to be able to think critically of it while he's playing it? Or is he just going to be like... I'm playing Dragon Age 3! This is the best game since Skyward Sword, you guys. <laughs> Dragon Age Hype Train! Oh god. Can we just, like, never use the phrase, and no offense, Doug, never use the phrase Hype Train again on this podcast? Aww. Sorry. I just, I see it every time I go on Twitch or look at NeoGAF, God forbid, and it's just like, why is this a games thing? Is it just a life thing now? Is Hype Train, like, in wrestling or in, like, sports or in politics? <laughs> maybe it's just a personal grievance maybe I just have a chip on my shoulder I don't know the high train stops here there are already too many cooks in this kitchen and with that tell tell the fine people where we are on the internet so do hype trains spoil the bra yes okay <laughs> glad we clarified that uh well I'll go first for once uh you can find me on every gaming platform as Ymog, W-H-Y-M-O-G, or uh, hit me up on Twitter or something. I'm at Nick Cummings. I like to talk about stuff. We should I guess do, I'll go next. We should do like a theoretical top ten list before Game of the Year. Where like, What games did we think were going to be Game of the Year in January, and what did it actually end up being? Because hmm. I feel like the, That'd be fun. the list is going to be so different right now than what I expected it to be earlier this year. Yeah, I guess like I'll throw out what I expected my game of the year to be. Uh, I guess at the beginning of the year, it was hard to say, but I would have guessed like Bayonetta 2. Huh. My uh, personal, not our top 10 as a group. Uh, our group, I thought maybe Destiny could have pulled it off. Yeah, I'm I just was, like laughing. Just based on like how few AAA games were supposed to come out this year, uh, based on marketing and hype and just production values and uh, a whole combination of factors, I really thought Destiny was going to come in a lot hotter than it did. Oh well. Yeah. You can find me on most social networks as Tyler A. Martin and the gaming services as That Jerk Tyler. 
And you can find me on Twitter at Douglas Bonham and playing FIFA poorly at Harper DC on PSN on PS3. So I am completely scrub league for our group now. I'm the only one without a Dixgen console. Oh, it's here. not the hardware that counts. It's how good you are at FIFA. Oh, and I'm not good <laughs> at it either. That's okay. I'm terrible at FIFA. Hmm. Join us next week for our FIFA cast. Yeah. Goodbye. Featuring only Doug. Yeah. It'll be old man yelling at cloud servers. Aww. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. We'll be back next week. And, of course, I forgot to mention, once again, that we have an email address for your questions. Uh, shoot us an email to questions at siliconsasquatch.com, and we'll do our best to answer them live on the air. And by live, I mean on a recorded format delivered to your podcast aggregator at some point in the future. Uh, we are eagerly anticipating the first question. Could it be you? It could be. That's up to you. It's entirely up to you. Take control of your future. Do yourself a favor. Email questions at siliconsasquatch.com. We'll be waiting. Silicon Sasquatch is an independent blog covering the cultural and social significance of games. We're based in Portland, Oregon, and our five members are Doug Bonham, Nick Cummings, Aaron Thayer, Tyler Martin, and Spencer Tordoff. We publish new essays, editorials, podcasts, uh, strange comic illustrations that are poorly drawn, whatever you can really imagine. We post it all the time, Monday through Friday, at siliconsasquatch.com. You can follow along for more updates at facebook.com slash siliconsasquatch or on Twitter, where we are at sasquatchgaming. Uh, as always, thank you for listening, and please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, whatever your favorite podcast app is these days. Who knows? You kids and your podcast apps. And we'll be back uh, next week with a new episode. <laughs>